0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Well, I still remember the day it happened. I didn't see it coming. It happened on a Saturday morning around 6.30 a.m., uh, the date was November 18th, 2017. Uh, the place was yet West Yarmouth. Yes, Yarmouth, who's in Canada, in Massachusetts, Cape Cod, where Glenda and I like to get to as much as we can for a getaway time. And on this day, at this hour, at this place, it became official. I became Old. <laughs> I was following the same Cape Cod morning routine I'd been doing for years. I went to the Dunkin' Donuts to get some coffee before heading down to the beach to watch the sunrise come over the water and spend some time with God. I ordered my coffee and a young pimply-faced girl behind the counter looked at me and said these words, I'll give you the senior's discount for that. <laughs> no one's ever said that to me before. I said, well, how old do you have to be to get a senior's discount? I'm thinking to myself, I'm way under the line for this. <laughs> I mean, there's no way I'm at senior's discount level. I was 55 at the time of age, and this is young. This is not old. This is middle age, not senior. And she answered my question, <clears throat> you need to be 55 years old. She emphasized the word old. <laughs> it just seemed like it to me. So on, so I did 6.30 a.m., On November 18th, 2017, at the Dunkin' Donuts in Cape Cod, I got my first senior's discount, and I became old. (laughs) And it was not worth the 17 cents I saved on the coffee. (laughs) You know, it's interesting, as I think about that story this week, 63.7 miles from that spot um, was a place where I can remember first feeling fearful and being young. I was about 5 years old and I was going grocery shopping with my mother in Hingham, Massachusetts where we lived. And I knew the grocery store and mom said keep keep with me, keep with me, don't 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 wander, keep following, me, keep your eyes on me. And there was this aisle that I knew there were Pop-Tarts down this aisle. <laughs> and so as a 5-year-old boy, I wandered down that aisle to see the Pop-Tarts and when I looked up, my mom was gone. And that's the first time I remember feeling panic, being lost. Uh, The lostness I felt in the grocery store was not a geography problem. I knew the grocery store. It was familiar to me. The store was in a neighborhood I knew. In fact, I could walk back to my house. I knew where I lived. It was less than a mile away. The grocery store was close. I knew how to get home. The loss and the panic I felt was not a geography problem, it was a relationship problem. I knew where I was, but I didn't know where my mom was. And what mattered to me most was my relationship with my mother. And that, that moment I didn't have that. She was gone, I was alone, I was lost. And it's possible, very, very possible, that there are even people here today who feel that way, though they're much older. And it's not a geography problem. You know where you are. It's a relationship problem because you're not sure where God is. You look and you wonder where he is. You don't feel him there. And as a result, you have this uneasiness, maybe even a panic. You may even feel like God has abandoned you. The truth is, my mom did not abandon me in that grocery store. I wandered down the aisle to check out the Pop-Tarts. My mom didn't move, I moved. I moved. I didn't keep my eyes on her. I was focused on the Pop-Tarts. When I looked up, I realized she wasn't there. And God will never be the one who leaves you. When we take our eyes off him, we take our eyes off his ways, we tend to wonder until we realize that we're lost and we feel alone. But God is never the one who moves away. Last Sunday, we looked at the importance of realizing sin in our life because sin separates us from God. And we spoke about the importance of confessing sin, of being sincerely sorry for it. And a number of you, I was so impressed, a number of you remained standing when the invitation was given to say, there's a conversation I need to have with God right now. There's sin in my life. I need to confess. And I was so respect you for that. You had that conversation and you confessed which and then and God cleans, but today I want to see how confession of sin leads us to a place of repentance. Repentance is where we act on our confession, and in your notes, you want to take out your sermon notes. We're gonna, we, you can see that repentance is a change of mind, which results in a change of action. To repent is to change your mind about God and his ways. It is to believe God's ways are always better than my ways. And I believe it to the point where I'm willing to adjust my life to that fact. I change how I think about God. I change it about his ways. And I'm willing to adjust my life. And the Bible tells us this. I love this verse because it's so true. There's a path that seems right. There's a path before each person that seems right. But in the end it leads to death. So many people think, you know what I'm doing, I'm I'm okay. This path away from God, without God, I have my philosophies, I have my ideas, and I'm okay, and I want to try to let everybody know that I'm okay until that panic will come one day. But hopefully, they realize that they're lost. And they need to confess sin, but more than that, act on that and change their mind and return, come back to God. His ways always leads to life. My way always leads to death. It always has and always will. So today we're going to finish off in 1 Samuel. I hope we may come back to it again after some time. We're going to go on to prayer next week as I mentioned. But last week we saw the Israelites try to force God's hand. Remember, they they brought the Ark of the Covenant into battle. And they said, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle, it will save us from our enemies. And we never are saved by the it's in our life. We're saying this morning, my God saves. We can never substitute God for an it. We can't say to God, because I tithe, you have to do this. Because I go to church, you have to do this. God, because I obey this, you have to do this. You have to save me. Those are responses, and God does bless. But don't let those it's become the source of God's victories. He alone saves. The Israelite people are thinking, if we bring this battle of the covenant, which represent God's presence on earth, remember, we, there's no way God will make us let us lose this battle. Though they were sinful, though they had sinned, we will force God's hand, we'll bring his presence into the battle, there's no way God will allow us to be defeated. Wrong. You can't manipulate God. Israel lost the battle. More than that, they lost many of their men. And more than that the Philistines captured the ark and brought it back home with them. And we read this about those Philistines that they that they fought. They carried those Philistines the ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside the idol of Dagon. Today we're going to learn from these Philistines how it isn't enough to recognize God's power in our world. But you also have to recognize it in the way you live. It needs to change the way you respond. Uh, Dagon was an idol. Most accounts describe him. At the top of him was like a man. The bottom of him was like a fish. And uh, the Philistines would quickly come to realize that the weight of God's glory in their midst was powerful. And we read this today. But when the citizens of Ashdod, this is where the, the ark was in the city, went to see it, the ark the next morning, Dagon, their false god, had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the ark of the Lord, So they took Dagon and put him in his place again. But the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down before the ark of the Lord again. This time his head, his hands had broken off and were lying in the doorway. Only the trunk of his body was left intact. But when the citizens of Ashdod went to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him in his place again. But the next morning, the same thing happened. His hands had broken off. We could see that this happening over and over again. And so God is clearly showing these Philistines who is real and who is powerful. And he's trying to let them know, it isn't your God, Dagon. And more than Dagon falling on his face and be the presence of God, rats begin to overrun the city of Ashdod. And then people came down with tumors and developing tumors. So the Philistines, what did they do? What did those people of Ashdod do? They shuffled the ark off to another city called Gath. And the people of Gath, they were overrun by rats. The people developed tumors in their bodies. So what did the people of Gath do? They took the ark and put it off to the city of Akron. And Akron, the people were overrun by rats. tumors developed in their bodies. So what did they do? They said, let's get this thing back to Israel. And this is what I want you to know. People who encounter the truth of God will do one of two things. When they encounter the power of God, the weight of God, the glory of God, the presence of God, when they encounter that, they do one or two things. Either they run to him or they run away from him. The Philistines wanted to run away from God and his ways. They are desperate to remove God from their presence. Let's get rid of him. Let's get him out of here. And this is always the response of a rebellious people. The Philistines knew they were guilty before God. They even admitted it. They said, they said their priest said to them, send the ark of God of Israel back with a gift. They were told, send a what? Guilt offering. So the plague will stop. The Philistines, the, the priests advised their people, send a guilt offering. Because we're confessing guilt. God is more powerful. But here's the point. Though they knew this though they knew they were guilty, though they would do something to say, we, don't, we are not bigger than this God, they never turned from their other gods. The Philistines confessed guilt. They showed remorse, but not repentance. And the point is we need to realize this heartfelt sorrow involves not just regret, but also repentance. Not enough just to confess sin, we must repent. Of our sin, We must change the way we think, which changes the way in which we act. The Apostle Paul, he was preaching, he said, I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. So there's an element of change. There's a difference. This is who I was. This is who I am because I confess sin and i change changed the way I think about God. i change changed the way of, what, of how I should live my life. And it's the way that leads to life, not death. It's God's ways. The struggle for us who know about obedience, and we hear, listen a lot, we hear a lot. We say we know what it is to be obedient. And we, the struggle is that we know but we're going to see we partially want to be obedient. If, I had, if we had to break obedience down in your notes, it would be simply just this. Obedience is this, what God says to do. How he says to do it. And when he says to do it. In fact, that's a good way to pray, too. Right? You know, pray, say, God, what would you have me to do? How would you want me to do it and when? And it begins with what? God, what did you? What do you want me, to, what are you telling me to do in my life? And we need to know how because God's ways are always better than my ways. And, of course, when should we do it? Sometimes we want to procrastinate. God says, no, I need you to do this now. And we say, yeah, but, 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 but. But sometimes God says, wait, and we want to rush ahead of him. So we need to understand when and how. And here's the point you're going to hear over and over and over again from this man who became old. None of this will be revealed to you unless you choose to hear from God. It's just information. Oh, that's interesting. It is listening prayer. It is being part of a life group community because God will use others to speak to you. It is also why we're inviting you to set free because you need clarity from God. You need freedom, and only his truth can bring you that kind of freedom. Sitting every week won't do it. Listening to God and God say, okay, what? And you say, okay, I'll do that. How? Okay, I'll do that. How, When? when? Okay, I'll do that. Is where change happens. And I tell you, people have been, can sit for years, years, spectating and watching and never run to God saying, please, I'm ready, I surrender, I'm listening, work in my life. People have been dealing with hang ups and sins for years, and they need to be set free. And if obedience is a struggle, it's because we respond with partial obedience, um, which is an oxymoron because partial, um, you know, either you're obedient or you're not. And this is what we hear from Saul today, which you read earlier. And first Samuel, when Saul, Samuel's, or Samuel's grown up as a prophet, he goes to King Saul and gives him a very clear command from God. He tells him this. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything. Samuel didn't say partially destroy some things. He said destroy everything. But Saul only partially obeyed. First, he kept the king alive. He wanted to bring him back as a trophy. I'll kill all the people, but I won't kill the king. And we are often tempted to justify our disobedience by saying we are partially obeying God. We tell ourselves, I'm obeying more than I used to. I'm being a little, I was this bad. Now I'm only this bad. I'm partially, I'm more obeying than I used to. Therefore, it's okay. I'm going in the right direction. At least I'm moving that. I'm getting closer. I may not be obedient, but I'm more obedient than I was. And that's only partial disobedience. So I want to be a law-abiding citizen in Niagara Falls. And uh, so the the law says to me that I must stop at every red light that I encounter. But what if I decided, you know, I'm not going to stop at any red lights. I like not having to stop. I'm not very patient. I don't like waiting. You know, even though we're a small group today, what if all of us decide to go home today and not stop at one red light? It will change the culture in Niagara Falls. Lives will be changed and not for the better. So what if I decided, okay, I'm going to not stop at any red lights, but then I come across the scripture, God says, everyone must submit the governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those positions of authority have been placed there by God, so anyone who rebels against authorities are rebelling against what God has instituted, and they'll be punished. I go, that's a hard verse. So I say, okay, I have been disobeying. I need to obey. And this is what I'll do. I'll only drive through two of 10 red lights. I used to obey all of them, but I'm going to be much better. I'm obeying most of them. Won't go over. Officer, I'm a lot better than I used to be. (laughs) Partial obedience is not what the government requires, it's not what God requires. And sometimes we don't know why God tells us things. And so we don't obey. It also says in the Bible, if this is hard This is hard as well for some of us, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow that would certainly not be your, for your benefit. And all of us have spiritual leaders we submit to. And what a joy it is when when we choose to work with leadership and submit and support and pray for them. I, w- I was praying. I was praying through here this morning, and I was, every time I'd pray, I'd uh, through, I'd come this way to look at the banners, and I looked at the add new three life groups, and God just said, you know, and this is just a fact. There are a lot of some people just don't want to be in a life group. And I, and I thought, wow, I, I get that. I, I've been there, I understand that. they don't want to change, and I understand that, um may, may not understand why, and I thought about how over 30 years of coming to churches who um, have rough seasons who need to experience a comeback, that those life groups in those churches were as part of that change around. Churches going down and coming back up. How important that was. And I said, well, why God? I'm praying, why was that? Because people become part of community in life groups. You think you know each other here, wait to get to a life group. You think you see answers of prayers, wait till you get to meet with people week after week, and not every time you may not feel like going up. but you pray, and even in our life group, we've seen God answer tremendous prayers. I get excited about that. In life groups, we see people ministering to others. We see people come together, let's do this for someone else, and God blesses that. And every time, and, and, and I've been in a few churches that have just come in at a rough season and, and they're wondering why they're dropping. And so part of what we've done, and I've learned this, is you've got to develop life groups. You've got to get people, not just a Sunday morning people, but a weekly people and get in community and watch the church turn around. My last church was, was devastated when I came there, really. Um, had, had gone through a lot of problems. And I think when I went to the church, there was no life groups. There might have been one Bible study, and when I left, there was 84% of the people who were in a life group. 84% of the people were involved in getting together every week, praying for each other, encouraging each other, ministering to others outside the church and outside the group. I want you to know, when you, you cannot get 84% of the people connecting together on one theme, praying together, ministering together, and not see the church turn a corner. That's how important it is. And God said, not everybody wants to hear that. I go, that's true, I understand that. But it's important I was, and I thought, God said, you know, this is, this is true for you too. I remember being at a district function I didn't want to go to just recently. Uh, the guy was speaking. I didn't really like the author. I read two of his books because so the district said I had to read these books. And I read the books. Didn't like him. Didn't like the speaker. But I went because I was submitting to my spiritual authority. And while I was there, the two of the district leaders came to me and took me aside and said, we understand you're pursuing this, little, this, this, this thing, but we've got to ask you to stop just for a moment. Slow down. And this is, they wouldn't tell me Why? But I trusted them, and you know the old Mark would have gone. Well, you have to tell me. But I said, okay. Found out just this week why, from someone else, and they were right on. Best thing for us. Sometimes you got to submit and trust and understand, and you may not know, but those above you may. Saul probably couldn't understand, and I don't understand. Why God had to kill everything. Um, even the animals. Oh, that would be hard for you, Teresa, right? You love animals. But why did God destroy them? I don't know. I don't know. My job is not always to understand, but to trust and obey and Saul tells Solomon why he partially obeyed. He said, it is true that, you know, the army spared the best of the sheep, the goats and the cattle. Saul admitted, but they're going to sacrifice of the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. So Saul saying, you know what? I acted on my own, but I'm doing it for God. You know, God said, I want you to do this. I'm taking action on my own. This is what I'm doing because this is what God wants and needs. I kept the best of the animals so he could sacrifice them to God. And he's trying to justify disobedience. And Solomon's saying, "Tell Solomon, I know better. Samuel struck, or uh, sorry, Samuel, not Solomon. Uh, Samuel struck at the heart of the matter by saying this to Paul. What is more pleasing to the Lord? These burnt offerings and sacrifices you were saying you want to make? Or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering of the fat of the rams obedience submission I got lost in the grocery store as a young child because I disobeyed my mom to be honest I thought I knew better, i wandered off down the aisle I'm going to be okay without her, I didn't tell her where I was going and I've done that with God and I know you have to in your life. There were times when I did not obey God. I thought I knew better. I wandered away, and I always regretted it. Came to a place where i confess my sin, but more than that, repent by changing my way about God's directions for my life. I'm sure the enemy would have you, and I look back at those times when we failed, and you're aware of them, when we disobeyed, when we followed what I thought was right. And the devil, our great accuser, would cripple you spiritually in your relationship with God, saying, look, you failed him, you disobeyed, you are nobody. And the enemy tries to keep you in a place of that failure and regret. Regret. But the one thing our enemy never counted on was this practice God gives you and I called repentance. Change your mind while you can. Return to him while you can, not just partially, but fully. And don't point to the it's well I'm sacrificing. I'm partially obeying, I'm better than I used to be. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than just offering. Repentance gives us the opportunity to change our mind. I like what Monica Johnson said. She says this in your notes. Regret is not a proactive feeling. It is situated in disappointment, sorrow, even remorse. It merely wishes things were different without an act to cause a difference. That act is repentance. However, repentance is different. Repentance is an admission of hatred and turning away from sin before God. Have you got to that place? Are you at that place? Repentance gives us the opportunity to change. God says, I will, you can. I and mean, you get living the direction God has for us. That's a great gift. There are times when I partially obeyed and I said, you know, I'm getting better, I'm driving through two of the ten red lights, or whatever that would be in my life or in your life. But God says, No, I need you for your sake to bring your life under the complete authority. Not partial authority of God. Partial authority is not good enough. And repentance gives us the opportunity to move on. Some people think repentance is a harsh word, and I, to be honest, I've heard people use it in a harsh way, like "What's repent? Going to hell and repent." And though it may be true, it's just like this: I'm using this to harm you. And repentance is really a word of love. It's God saying, "I see." you're not doing well and what you're, how you're living is not going to work out for you and I love you. Would you confess this sin? And more than that, would you turn? Would you change your mind about it? Change your mind about thinking about what I'm asking you to do and repent. And don't do it in part. I, Charles Spurgeon, he says this, if Christ is not all to you, he is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as part savior of men. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. When I found my mom in that grocery store, the panic turned to peace. A great sense of relief came over me. All was good again. And when we repent of our rebellion of disobedience, there's that peace. That word of love from God, saying, "My child, my child, I want you to re- give you a chance to respond, to change your mind." And Jesus gives us that inv- invitation. He tells us this. Oops, maybe I didn't put it in. It's in your notes. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy, carry heavy burdens. Was that you? Do you come today and you feel like I am weary and carrying a heavy burden? And Jesus says, I'm going to give you rest. There's an exchange here. But it comes when you surrender, when you confess, when you repent. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle of heart. And you're going to find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. Father, thank you for this series you've been looking at. For the life of Samuel. For his mother, Hannah, who prayed. Who endured a lot of shame. And yet believed in you and you answered her prayer. For her willing to dedicate you, Lord. To dedicate Samuel to you, Lord. And I just thank you for that. And how you were able to use that young man. In a time when people did what was right in their own eyes it says where people said I will do what I want to do and I will not submit and obey and that wasn't working out for them and Saul was one of those God we see today how he fooled himself thinking well I'm doing this because I want to honor God but God asked for obedience and submission not justification not trying to trick and manipulate. And so Lord, if any of us here today are like that, I pray that you would speak to us even now. That you're bringing to mind uh, an area of where we are being partially obedient, where we've been justifying and better than I used to be. And God, you're saying, Come under my complete authority. That's where the freedom is. That's where the hope is. That's what I desire. And as we always say, God, we, we fear because we think we can't do it, and that's right, but you will help us and empower us and give us your, the, the power of your Holy Spirit to help us live that life of, of obedience where we honor you and when we do slip, God, we are quick and we're, so we are so, you look at our hearts, we are so sorry, Lord, it's not a game. But we are so sorry and you forgive us. You're faithful and just to forgive us as we confess sin. But Lord, we get right back to repentance. We change. I pray for you to help change those here today who are even now saying, God, I need you to move and I need to respond May your will be done here on earth in this church, in this family, as it is in heaven. Why? Because you are the power and you are the kingdom, and it's your glory. And it's not just for now, it's forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m. and we look forward to seeing you soon and know that there is a place for you at the gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.